we're going to look at what a follower of Jesus is supposed to look like. That word is disciple. Um, that's a word. There's more words, but the one we're talking about now is disciple. And that these are going to be um, scriptural messages that, that people aren't going to be comfortable with because we've got a, a Christianity. And I'm painting with a really broad brush, um, but we've got a broad brush Christianity in our culture that doesn't look too much like what we see in the Bible. And the Lord is going to press against us with the word of God to either rise up in a good way or, or lower ourselves in a, in a humble way so that he could then exalt the church the way he desires to um, in power. So here we are. We're at that place. And man, I've been so excited because I feel like I could do this with my eyes closed. Except he, he kept stirring me towards a different kind of a conversation. And all week long I wrestled with this, and, and I got it. I think I got what he wants me to, to use as a way to present this to you, at least the beginning of it. And that's with a little bit of a, of a gospel discussion as we start to talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And here we go. So typically, when we talk about the gospel, when we witness Jesus to somebody, the conversation is in terms of um, lost and saved, heaven and hell, forgiven, unforgiven, redeemed, unredeemed. And and that's not an improper conversation, but it's an incomplete conversation. And the problem with speaking to somebody who doesn't know Jesus in terms of their sin... Do you know you're a sinner? No. Let me show you that you're a sinner. Okay, I'm a sinner. Do you understand that that sin has separated you from God? Okay. And that you are eternally damned to the wrath of God when you pass from this life to the next life in the, in the fiery pit of hell and ultimately this burning lake of fire and you will be tormented for eternity without any hope. What do you think about that? Well, I don't think I want to do that. Okay. Well, you can have your sins forgiven and then you can go to heaven. Yeah, let's do that. I want to have my sins forgiven. Who wouldn't say that, right? But the entire focus of that conversation is sometime that's not now, right? The thing that has to happen now is you have to pray a prayer or you have to ask Jesus into your heart or whatever that might look like, but all the focus is on sometime other than right now. So here's what the Lord, I believe, was telling me to present in a contrast way to talk about the, um, the gospel, that there are two kingdoms in this world. There's only two spiritual kingdoms in this world. One of them is the kingdom of darkness, and the other one is the kingdom of light or or also the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. There's there's two kingdoms, spiritual kingdoms, and every human being resides in one or the other. They don't reside somewhere, you know, I haven't decided which one. If you're not in the kingdom of God, you're in the kingdom of darkness. There is no third place. There is no I'm deciding. If you haven't decided yet, then you're in the kingdom of darkness, and at birth, everybody is born into the kingdom of darkness. Now, now there's probably some window of grace until you're accountable to actually make a choice for Jesus where if you passed away as a child, you really get to go to the kingdom of heaven eternally, right? Because God understands that a child can't comprehend the magnitude of surrendering your life to Jesus and, and such there's a grace. But essentially... Every person is born in sin. And, and once they pass that point where they're accountable, they're, they've become old enough that they're accountable for their sin, then they're just a resident of the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of heaven is easy, right? God is the ruler of the kingdom of heaven. He's actually delegated that rule to his son, Jesus. But if you read 
how the end times finish and eternity starts. Jesus then places everything back into the hands of the Father. So Jesus is the temporary top king, but ultimately God the Father is the head of everything always and for eternity, right? But the king of the, of the kingdom of darkness is Satan. In 2 Corinthians 4, now I'm going to share scriptures that I don't have in there for the sake of quickness. So don't get confused like I, I forgot. I didn't forget. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Satan is called the God of this world. In uh, John chapter 12, he's called the ruler of this world. And in Ephesians chapter 4, he's called the prince of the power of the air. See, these two kingdoms are absolutely diametrically opposed to one another. They have nothing in common. So rather than say to somebody, do you want your sins forgiven so you can go to heaven instead of hell? Today's question, as if we're being asked that question, is which kingdom do you want to live in? Do you want to live in the kingdom of light or do you want to live in the, king, in the kingdom of darkness? And, and they both kind of have their advantages, right? In, in the kingdom of light, you have this, this really awesome advantage of eternity with God versus, you know, hell. And in this one, you got no rules. You can do what you want. You can serve your pleasures as much and as deeply as you want to. But there's consequences. There's a consequence of this one. There's a consequence of this one. People got to decide. Not do you want your sins forgiven so much as which kingdom do you want to live in? That's an important question. Do you want to live in? Okay. The kingdom of darkness. Remember, we're going to get to disciple in a minute. The kingdom of darkness is also called the world. So when you see references to this world, it's not talking about you know, the physical planet and the trees and things. It's talking about the system of the world, the, the, the ways of the world, which are the ways of the kingdom of darkness because this world is, is entrapped in Satan's kingdom. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the king of this world. He's the guy who has this world in his grip. Now, our job, right, for Jesus is to go and expand his kingdom into this kingdom, but ultimately this thing isn't going to be redeemed. It's going to be burned up and it's going to be replaced with a new heaven, a new earth, new Jerusalem. For a person, especially a Christian person, because these, these things that I'm going to share with you right now are not addressed towards people of the world. They're, tra- they're addressed towards people who would profess them to be citizens of God's kingdom. Okay? So for a person like that to have any kind of fellowship with, friendship with, or love of the systems of this world, the, the ways of this world, the pleasures of this world, in James chapter 4 says that would be hostile towards God. So for me to love things of the world is for me to be hostile towards God. It says also in James chapter 4, if I'm like that, that I am at enmity with God or I'm his very enemy. And then it says in 1 John chapter 2 that if in fact I demonstrate any affection for the world, I do not love God. Now, how many people in the church say, no, 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 I do love God. Well, then why are you living this kind of a lifestyle? Well, you know, God understands and, and who knows this and that, but I really love God. No, you don't. How do I know that? Because the scripture says so. If we want to fellowship with the world, we are enemies of God. That's the truth. Okay, so the Bible gives examples of these things. There are places in the scriptures where it says, blah, 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 cannot inherit the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Let me just give you a long laundry list of some of those things. Okay, 
examples of things. If you were going to do these kinds of things or live this kind of life, you are, you are a friend of the world and you are an enemy and being hostile towards God. You do not love him. Fornication. Youth are almost all gone. Fornication, you all know what fornication is, right? Idolatry, adultery, literally to be effeminate, which I think is probably only directed towards a guy. I think it's okay for ladies to be effeminate. Homosexuality, stealing, coveting. How many of you saw a nice car go by and, and coveted that car or that house or, or things that others have that you don't have? Coveting literally is to make you an enemy of God. Drunkenness, reviling, swindling, doing dirty business deals, right? Hey, you know, just business is business. No, it's not in the kingdom. Business is righteous in the kingdom. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, like, like living your life to just please your physical senses, enmity, sorcery. Ah, it's just a Ouija board. It's just astrology. It's just, it's just fun. No, it's not. It's the world, and you need to put it down. Um, strife, jealousy, dissension, factions, outbursts of anger, envying, and carousing. That's just, that's just the ones I gleaned from a couple of lists in the New Testament. People that live in these ways cannot inherit God's kingdom. You can't come in. You can't live like the world and dwell with God in his kingdom. Now, there's lots and lots of doctrines of men that would tell you otherwise, and they would start to talk to you about God's grace and would talk to you about God's love. But I dare anybody to go to the scriptures and show me where God says it's okay, that you can actually take the blood of my son onto yourself for the forgiveness of your sins and live however you want that actually cause you to need the blood of my son. There's just no way. It's not like that. God does not give grace to licentiousness. God gives grace for a sincere person who's turned his heart towards the Lord who makes a mistake and humbly comes before God and confesses his sin. It says that he is righteous and just to forgive them their sins and cleanse them of all unrighteousness. But it also says in Galatians, God will not be mocked. That which a man sows, that he will reap. The one who sows to the flesh will reap corruption. The one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life. That's just what it is. Okay, so therein lies the problem. A person may want their sins forgiven, but not desire to live in God's kingdom. How many people have you met, right? How many? I, I'm that guy. I want to go to heaven, and I want to live like hell until then. Because I got this flesh, and, and it likes all this kind of stuff. And there's the problem. If all we talk about is getting your sins forgiven and going to heaven instead of hell, we don't address the time from now until then. But the Bible does. It speaks very clearly about the time from now until then. It says you can't live like that anymore. You have to, what's the word? Repent. You have to turn. You have to change. Come away from that way of living because his kingdom doesn't have that inside of it. But what if I did it? Then you confess. It's your heart that he's measuring. But your behaviors on any kind of a practiced manner are going to expose what's truly in your heart. Luke 16, this one you actually have, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. In this context, you cannot serve God and wealth. I just, I just need a nicer house for my family and, and a better neighborhood and 
what, 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 what. So I'm, a, I'm just going to be a little dirty in this business deal because I'll get the nice commission. No, you can't. You live in the house that God gives you, and you be grateful to him, and you be content with what you have because he will give you everything that you need. You can't serve two masters. You have to make a decision. That's why Matthew 6, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, it says, don't worry about this and don't worry about that and don't worry about the other. But that, that follows, therefore, and the therefore is you can't serve two masters. So if you don't trust, if you don't put away your anxieties and put away your fears about what am I going to eat and what am I going to wear and how am I going to take care of myself and seek after God's kingdom and his righteousness, instead of serving God, you will serve wealth because your fear will drive you to do those things that will meet your fleshly needs instead of trusting that your Father in heaven will take care of everything that you need. You cannot serve two masters. You can put that in any context you want. This one is in wealth. Um, Also, Mark chapter 3 and verse 24, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. It would be like trying to live in God's kingdom, but not according to the king of the kingdom. It's like, I want to live in your kingdom, God. Oh, great. Will you repent of your sin? Well, tell me about that for a second. Yeah, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to live in your kingdom because then I get to go to heaven. It's like, well, no, that doesn't make sense. Where do you want to live? Do you want to live with God? Do you want to live in his kingdom today, right now, starting now? Or do you want to live in the world? Because you can have whichever one you want, but you can't have both. You've got to make a decision. To offer by way of the gospel the forgiveness of sin and eternal life without the discussion of what that means in this life now is certainly to to preach less than the full gospel and and very probably to offer somebody security that's not secure because they didn't get the chance to really make a decision and they may choose to live in the world thinking that their eternity is sealed in God. Jesus dealt with the same problem like this, um, defining... Uh, man's truth that was contrary to truth, truth, his. Six times in Matthew, uh, I think it's chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, you hear these words. Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, pray this prayer and you go to heaven. But I say to you, you're called to be a disciple, not a convert. So he, he speaks to, you know, just minor, inconsequential things with, you have heard it said, but I say to you, in the topic of murder, adultery, vows and oaths, justice, things like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, divorce, and love and hate. And, and, and love and hate's the one I just want to touch on for a second. Jesus says, you have heard it said, to love your neighbor, I'm doing this from memory, so forgive me if I get it off a little bit, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those that persecute you. That is a righteous thing until you got an enemy. Seriously. I mean, somebody comes up against you and you're going to love them? Well, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will. And you'll swallow hard and you'll deny yourself and... ooh. But see, what, what God calls us to, he empowers us to. He will, he will give it to us. When, when we say, God, I don't know how in the world I could forgive that person, how I could love that person, but you have sacrificed for me 
and I will sacrifice for you. Lord, I desire to do your will. What happens? Grace, man. Grace comes. And when grace comes, forget about it. Game over. You win, God wins. That person gets loved whether they want it or not. Disciples, do the, but I say to you part, not the, for you have heard it said part. When a person understands the eternal consequences of their sin, of course they want to be forgiven, but are they willing? And do they really want to repent of that sin? See, that's why you've got to ask. We've got to ask. We've got to start thinking in terms of what kingdom do you want to live in? Because everybody, if they understand the consequence of their sin, wants them forgiven. That's easy. I mean, it's a no-brainer. But that's not the whole story. The, the whole story is repent and believe. Repent. Uh, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Eternal life, which God has prepared for those who obey him. Uh, salvation for those who love him. How do you love him? You obey him. I mean, it's so obvious, but but people don't want. The last time I taught on discipleship, I know I've said this to you, so forgive me, but somebody deep, I mean, you know, pretty substantial Christian person, when I was reading the, the discipleship scriptures, I was teaching on those scriptures after church, are like, are you out of your mind? Like, what do you mean? It wasn't Jessica. Would have really scared me if it was Jessica. What do you mean? You can't talk to people like that. No one will respond to that. Deny yourself. Hate your parents. Are you crazy? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm just reading the red letters out of the Bible. I'm going to dumb down what Jesus said so somebody can feel good about something that they're not actually getting because they want a gospel that doesn't say die to yourself. Like, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. I didn't mention this at the beginning. And I don't remember who it is, but somebody 10 times in the last couple of weeks has said that what they're hearing is that we are to be a remnant church. That's a pretty powerful word, remnant church. It's like God said to, to Israel, I made a covenant. He says to the world, I made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And no matter how their children wander away from me, I will keep for myself a remnant. A remnant of Israel, I promise you, is going to be in heaven because God said so. And what if, I mean, and I'm not jamming up any other churches. I mean, I had tons of wonderful churches with great callings on their ministries. But right here in this place, it's to be like we see in the Bible. It's to be the book of Acts. When, when your shadow walks down the sidewalk, the six guys, sick guys are getting on the side where it's going to hit them. When we're in Solomon, we've got to find a place and call it Solomon's Portico so people can bring their sick people there. And then God will glorify himself and we will declare God to be God, the only true God that is, and, and the gospel to those people. And he'll get glory and the kingdom will grow with soul after soul after soul. That comes from being what the Bible says we're to be. It's not rules and regulations. It's just reality. Um, if they don't want to repent... They don't have to. But if they want to live in the kingdom, then they've got to live in the kingdom. They can't live in, dance with Satan in, in God's ballroom. That's, a, that's not a bad one. <laughs> Somebody write that down. And, oh, it's recorded. I'll get it later. So then before we ask the question of which kingdom do you want to reside in, let's dispel the deception that you can live in both. Here's how Jesus does that. Matthew 10, 34 through 36. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. 
For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. What the heck, Jesus? You're the Prince of Peace. He said, yeah, I am. And I came to bring a sword. Why? Because a sword separates. It separates. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, right? So we look at the word of God and he says, all right, Pat Brady, I came not to bring peace but a sword. If your father, your wife, tries to draw you away from me, you've got to make a decision. Me or your father? Me or your son? Me or your daughter? Me or your wife? Where's that sword come down, Pat Brady? Because I didn't come to bring peace. You don't get to make peace with the world. You reject the world. You renounce the world. You repent from the world, and you turn your devotion to me as if there's nothing else on this earth. Pat Brady, where does the sword come down? And if you haven't yet been tested in this way, you either missed it or it's coming. Because that's what he tests is our faith. Who is our devotion towards? But God, you got to understand, she's my daughter and I love her so much. It's like, okay, you can have that. But no, I want you too. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Make a decision. John 12, 25, he who loves his life loses it. This is how Jesus is addressing, remember, he's addressing the deception that you can live in both kingdoms, like you can have the world and you can have Jesus, right? He who loves his life loses it, but he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. He who loves his life now, this life in this world with its pleasures, with all the things that it wants to offer us, he who loves this life now loses it eternally. And he who hates this life, oh, Lord, but, but I love, pick your poison. Doesn't seem that bad. For me, I, I know it feels like I'm beating this drum to death, but it's, it's big for me, was broadcast TV shows. I mean, they're broadcast. They can't be that bad except they're defiling me. They're unholy. There are things going on in that show that God hates. And I'm entertaining myself with it. And he said, listen, you're crying out. Where's the power, God? Where's the gifts, God? It's not me. I'm not holding anything back. It's your affections that restrain you. Repent. Come on. Matter of fact, I took it out. I'm putting it back in. Sorry. If you could see how much I took out, you'd be like, oh, thank you, Lord. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God. I'm not reading you the Old Testament, by the way. I'm reading you 2 Corinthians. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst. Why? Because he'll be our God and we'll be his people. But we've got to come out from their midst and be separate. We can't be with the world that way. And do not touch what is unclean. And I, God, will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, what promises? That he'll be our God and we can be his children. And, and he'll walk among us and we can have fellowship with him. Therefore, having these promises, beloved... Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 
That's not nothing. That's something. That's the Lord telling us how it is. But God, I like those shows. And I lay in bed and I, I just, they help me go to sleep. He's like, hey man, YouTube, polar bear videos, do the same thing for you. Watch polar bear documentaries and you'll have the same thing. He didn't actually tell me that, but that's what's happened. I know, I could tell you about polar bears, man. It's not easy being a polar bear. You think if you're a polar bear, it's easy, but it's not. Because I know, I've seen them. Oh, somewhere I was here. And he hates, he who loves his life now, that's me now, that's my extra, loses it eternally, that's me. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. How do you have a life eternal? You hate this life. What does hate look like? It looks like hate, right? I'm trying to think of what I hate, some kind of food that I hate. What do I hate? I know, I pretty much eat anything. But I used to hate Brussels sprouts. I used to hate Brussels sprouts. I eat a Brussels sprout. It wants to come back out right now, right? He's like, you got to hate like you hate Brussels sprouts. But he hates brownies, yeah. Oh, man, I don't hate brownies. Okay, we're, you guys, come on, stop it. That's a dory trail. Okay, so what, what of this life must I hate? What is it, God? What does I have to hate? Anything and everything that is unholy, defiling, or that God himself would not approve or participate in. If, if God wouldn't watch that TV show, you should not be watching that TV show. And if you're saying, hey, but God's grace, thank goodness, or, or you know, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm progressively being sanctified, but this part isn't sanctified out yet, you're lying to yourself. If God wouldn't touch it, we're not supposed to touch it. Amen. Thank you. I love having you back. <laughs> Here's what I've started to do, and, I, and I've shared this with some folks. If I get a stir, I ask myself, is that particular, whatever that thing is, let's call it the music I listen to, is that kingdom? Like, would, would those songs be sung in the throne room of God, or is it world? Kingdom or world? If the answer is world, remember, to have any love, partnership, fellowship with the world is to be hostile to God, to be at enmity with God, and to not love God. How in the world could you ever justify listening to that song? How do you do it? How can you know that truth and listen to that song? You have to deceive yourself. You have to say, well, but, well, but, well, but. And all the while, God's a thousand miles away because he's clearly told us we got to come out from that stuff. We have to get to the place of not participating with the world. We can choose, but you can't have both. I showed you the scriptures, right? You can't, can't have both lives, one or the other. It doesn't mean you can't stumble, but it does mean you can't choose to live that way. You have to decide what's it going to be. <laughs> and, and God, like, he doesn't take a nap when I'm watching something I shouldn't watch or doing something I shouldn't do. He speaks to the religious leaders. He said, um, with their lips, they honor me, but their hearts are far from me. If they say all the right things, they go to church on Sunday when nobody's looking, their, their, their hearts are a million miles away from God, and all the talk is just nonsense because it's not true talk, because it's not borne out by how they actually choose to live their lives. God calls people that are double-minded in that way whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. And they're the people that are going to stand before him. He says, and on that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And they'll read their resume of good stuff. And he'll be like, I never knew you. Depart from me, you doers of iniquity, of lawlessness. And they're going to be shocked because they went to church every Sunday. And my goodness, they did miracles and they cast out devils. 
God never had their hearts. They were workers, doers of iniquity or lawlessness. First John says lawlessness is sin. I don't know where to put this one in there, but I was like, I'm, I'm beating the drum of the, of the kingdom of darkness. I'll give you a sense for the kingdom of God. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is, is ultimately in the Holy Spirit, right? If you walk according to the Spirit, if you sow to the Spirit, Holy Spirit, you reap eternal life. If you sow to the flesh. So when he says, and there's context to this, but when he says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, it's satisfying yourself, eating and drinking and pleasurable things. It's, it's not that. In this context, it's not that that you would cause somebody else to stumble. But it's righteousness and it's peace and it's joy in the Holy Ghost. I got a little King James for a minute there, Larry. <laughs> You remember the, um, the Francis Chan sermon illustration with the big, long, never-ending rope, right? It's red at one end, about that long. And then, you know, for eternity, there's no other end. It's all white. And his, his, his point was people are living their lives for this, this little red part without any concern for the eternal part. And, and they're like, but you sold your house and gave away the money. You're crazy. And Francis is like, no, you're crazy. Because you saving and saving and scrimping and saving for this little piece right here, this little tiny red piece right here, with no concern for the eternal white part that never ends. So the, the, the question is, which end of the rope do you want? The little red part or the never-ending white part, which is eternity, understanding you can't have both. So then the question again, not do you want your sins forgiven. That's easy. Which kingdom do you want to be a citizen of? You want to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Here's how they live. You want to be a citizen of the world? Here's how they live. You want to have both? You can't. You have to decide. And see, when, we've, when we really confront that decision, no, God, I want to be in the kingdom of heaven, and I'm willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to be a citizen in your kingdom, useful to the king for his purposes, Forget about it. The roof blows off this joint. The roof blows off VG's. The roof blows off Walmart. The roof blows off your backyard. Because then we start to get the grace that brings us into alignment with what we see in the Bible that the church is supposed to look like. Why am I so strong about this? Because I believe it's true. I believe it's absolutely true. And I, and I know there's a huge deception that says that the kingdom is different than how the Bible says the kingdom is. That disciples don't have to look like the Bible describes a disciple to be. And also because I don't want to go to heaven and stand before the Lord and, and as I'm going by, it's like, eh, you got in. I want to stand there and I want to have this giant load of glory to set down at his feet. And I want to think about every single day that Jesus, you know, God bless all you guys, but Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane thought about me. He thought about crucifixion. He thought about the cat of nine tails. He thought about mere human beings spitting in his face and punching him and slapping him and mocking him and ridiculing him and pulling out his beard with their hands. He thought about me. And when I get to heaven, I want about a million pounds of glory to lay at his feet and say, Jesus, 
thank you so much. And if we don't, if we don't care, if we're just happy because somebody said, hey, you get your sins forgiven, you get to go to heaven, we probably do get to go to heaven. And that's, you know, that's way better than the alternative. But I want to have something to put at his feet. And, and I think that all of us do. We just got to encourage one another to love and good deeds, to serve in the Lord in the way that the word says that we're supposed to. John 8, 31 says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. So we read his word. He says, if you abide in my word and my word abides in you, ask whatever you want, right? What does it say? It says, deny yourself. If I deny myself, I'm abiding in his word. I can ask whatever I want and he'll give it to me. Because if I'm abiding in his word, I'm going to ask him for the things that he wants to provide to me. It says, whatsoever you ask and believe when you pray. Well, if I'm praying and asking, I'm fellowshipping, I'm abiding in the Lord, the ask isn't going to be for a new Cadillac. The ask is going to be for that shoulder to never hurt again, for that back to never hurt again, for, for God to be glorified and somebody to see it. And then I ask a question and we can share the gospel with them. Say, hey, what kingdom do you want to live in? Because mine heals bad shoulders. Mine takes a lady 15 years. She said it was like having morning sickness, <laughs> like having morning sickness all day long, every day for 15 years, except for that God said enough of that already. And, and he gave a vision, and he gave a prayer, and he delivered her. A lady whose thing was so bad, she had a, a, a thing. That's my word, a thing. It describes everything. Had a thing inside of her, like a mechanical thing inside of her to try to promote her body doing what it's supposed to do. I need it anymore. It'd be interesting to take an x-ray and see if that thing's even... We should look under the chair. She was right over there. Maybe it's right there. Sorry, I digress again. Abide. If you continue in his word, if you abide in his word, then you're his disciple. But if not, Matthew 21, 43, Jesus is saying this to the religious leaders of that time. I think he would say it to us too. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. Unless we surrender to holiness and faith and, 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 and don't surrender to fear, we're not going to produce any fruit. You'll find somebody else to work with. Sort of finally, sort of finally. The change is so dramatic. It's, it's so dramatic. Remember, every adult, right, once they pass that age of accountability, once they get past that point where they can know better, every adult is in the kingdom of darkness. And, the, and the, the change is so profound between coming out of that kingdom and into this kingdom that you can't do it. Yourself can't do it. You have to die and be born again, right? Nicodemus, who was like one of the highest of the high-end guys in the Sanhedrin, Jesus like, and he says this. It's right here. Um, John 3, 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, it takes that radical a change. And Nicodemus was like the most high-end guy. And Jesus was like, oh, my gosh, you're one of their best teachers. You know, and you can't even get this. You have to die and be born again in order to see the kingdom. What does he say about a seed, right? A, a grain of wheat. Unless it dies, it can't produce any fruit. Margie, now would be a good time.
we're going to sing a song today. Some of you are probably familiar with it. It's an awesome, awesome song. And it is, it's like, oh, it's, it's just, I probably listened to it ten times this morning. The offering, thank you. Look at that, people waving money at me. <laughs> okay, well, we'll take the offering sometime. You can put it in a basket if I forget. Matthew nine seventeen. Remember, you can't see the kingdom unless you're born again, right? You have to be born again. Matthew 9, 17. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskins burst, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. See, Holy Spirit comes into somebody when they choose to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when they, when they come into them, they better be born again, or that Holy Spirit's going to blow up that wineskin. But a new wineskin, it's, it's supple, and it will stretch, and it will move with the Holy Spirit. So we have to be born again so that he can put that new wine inside of us. You don't put new wine inside old wineskins. It just doesn't work. This song we're going to sing should almost be sung like a prayer. You, you, you probably go through the, the verses and things a couple of times. So the first time you might just want to hold on to your chair a minute and think about it because this is another one of those adult Christian songs. Not rated R, but it's a grown-up song. And it's a prayer. And, and if you sing it, God's going to hear you. And he's going to respond to it. Because this, this is a prayer that he'll respond to. It, it says words like this. So I yield to you and to your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. That sounds like Proverbs 3 to me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So I yield to you and to your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. Make me your vessel. The temple of the living God is what that makes me think of. Make me your vessel. Make me an offering. That's Romans 12, right? Present yourselves living in holy sacrifices to God. Make me whatever you want me to be. The Bible talks about the potter and the clay. Who's the clay to say to the potter, no, you did it wrong. Make me something different. No, we say to the potter, you're the potter and I'm the clay. Whatever purpose you have for my life, you, you make me however you want me to be. I came here with nothing, but all you have given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Now, here's the adult part. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil, I surrender. You are taking, breaking new ground. See, so to me, in the crushing and in the pressing, that's the, that's the call of the disciple to deny yourself. Oh, but Lord, it's, I like that so much. You're crushing me because this is what I liked in my life. You're pressing me. But when you say no to that and you allow him to press, guess what? New wine. And, and the, the other one, in the soil I now surrender, what does that make you think of? Mark chapter 4, the parable of the soil and the seed, Right? It's hard soil, and the seed, the Word of God, the, the life that's in the Word of God goes down on that soil. But it can't get in there. That soil needs to be busted up. I don't think that's too pleasant for the soil. But if we'll surrender to that, then the seed can get in and die, and it can bear much fruit, 30, 60, or 100-fold. This isn't a salvation call. But... If we're ready to declare our citizenship as God's kingdom, then let this song be a prayer. Pray it to God. It's like there's um, Misty Edwards, test me, try me, prove me, refine me. 
like to gold, like to fire, like, ah, put me in the fire, Lord. I want, I want Jesus to come out of the fire. Am I just like Jesus? More fire, God, more pressing, more crushing, more breaking of the soil, God. I want to be like Jesus. Lord, I want to be useful. I want to, I want to put before you, God, huge pile of glory that brings you glory, that brings you honor, Lord. So, Father God, I thank you for this day. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I, I, that we might participate not only in the fellowship of your glory, but the fellowship of your suffering as you crush us and you, and you, and you grind your plow through our dirt, Lord, to prepare new soil for new things, Lord, that we would be like you. And Father, I just, you guys can just carry the baskets around in a second. Father, thank you for the offering today. Thank you that you are absolutely 100% our provision in every way, our spiritual provision, our soulish provision, our, our financial provision, everything, Lord. Help us, Lord, that we would keep our noses pointed straight towards Jesus. Wherever you go, Jesus, we go. Whatever you say, we say. We are locked at the hip, Lord. We're not looking to the right. We're not looking to the left. We're not looking down. We're not looking up. We're looking straight at you, Jesus. We're walking across the water looking straight at you, Jesus, bringing glory to your name. And oh my gosh, there's pork chops in my fridge. Oh my gosh, there's gas in my car because you are faithful. You are faithful to provide us everything that we need. So we say, Lord, thank you. We say, Lord, bless it. We say, Lord, multiply it. And we say, Lord, convict us to spend it how you want. In Jesus' name, amen.